This is ND Insider's Pot of Gold. Now, with all things Notre Dame football, here's Tom Noy, Mike Berardino, and Austin Huff. We're bringing our A game today. He's Mike Berardino. I'm Tom Noy. That's producer Brandon. He's in for Jerry. Jerry's on the disabled list. We're bringing our A game back from a bye week. Notre Dame didn't bring its A game down in Clemson, South Carolina. Mike Berardino was there. The Irish now 7-3 and three overall, heading into Saturday's game against Wake Forest. They are number 19 in the, in the college football playoff poll for what whatever that matters. They're number 20 in the AP poll. Mike B., back from your bye week. You ready for the uh, the stretch run here? Oh, is this what, is that what this is? This is, run? is? this is not the stretch run. We got two know. weeks left. Here we go. This week and next week, and that's it, baby. We're done. I'm still conserving energy for the transfer portal period. I, I know Ooh, that's yes. when the season really starts. Not only the transfer portal season, but the assistant coaching season sure. as well. Sure. And that's going to get roll, get rolling Coaching too. Coaching carousel. Speaking of assistant coaches, Tuesday night they did trot out the assistant or the coordinators, Al Golden, the defensive coordinator and offensive coordinator, Jared Parker. I was away on assignment. Were you able to listen to Jared Parker? And if so, what did you glean from his comments? Well, you know how I how I do those. Um, I like to roam. I like you to are a roamer. Room. And I, I like to drop tape recorders throughout because I eventually do go back in that same week, hopefully, and and hear uh, how the questions were posed, and you know some of the nonverbal communication comes across even in a like the long sigh that Billy Shrouth gave after he was asked, "Why didn't you win the job coming out of the fall camp? What wow. happened there?" And Who was, threw that singer you know, out? I think it was Tim Priester. Was, was that Tim Priester? Just like, well, uh, you know, so that tells you a lot more than what comes after. But Jared Parker, you know how that goes. You've written about it a couple different times, and well, it was that same was, mode. What, what I was going to say, was it anything mode. different? Well, um, uh, long answers, uh, uh, you know, playing, uh, running out the clock. Sometimes it feels like, feels like, <laughs> you know, you, if you're in the questioning group, uh, you get the one question, you get the second question and, and then, you know, it just, it just kind of, uh, I'm sure it's by design by now mm-hmm. that, um, it'd be better sometimes, you know, he knows he's there for an allotted about 10, 11 minutes at most. And, and it's that way every week. And he tries to be forthcoming it, I think, but in general, um, when there's no good answers, um, especially when he's being uh, uh, peppered with questions about where's the play action, mm-hmm. where's the variety on first down, um, predictability, you know, what, what's, you know, what's going on with Sam Hartman, why can't you predict him? And, oh, by the way, Notre Dame will, may have a first-time starter at center and a first-time starter at right guard, they certainly will with Bill, the aforementioned Billy Shrouth, but uh, Zeke Carell concussion protocol, that could be something that takes all week to figure out. So Zeke Carell concussion protocol got hurt in late in the first half of the Clemson game. Yeah, I know. I believe uh, it was on the first. Here's the thing, another crying shame about it, another thing where makes you wonder about the differences between college and the pros. If that, was, if that happened in the pros, based on the, on the rewatch, targeted rewatch I did, uh, he he was dinged up on the first down play down in the goal line late in the first half. Notre Dame ends up settling for a field goal, but after the first down play, as he and good shot of him in the huddle, he's bent over. Carell's bent over at the waist. You got Joe Alt trying to readjust his shoulder pads, and um, the next play, second down, he goes down immediately. He gets you know they they just take him out of the play, and that play goes nowhere. And then the third down play was the one uh, Hartman rolled to the right and threw it couldn't couldn't hook up. Had Flores quickly had a great house later and couldn't couldn't make it happen. And um, Zeke Carell uh, probably would have been pulled out of that game right then mm-hmm. after the first down play if you have the NFL style spotter right. He's 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 clearly just something's off. But they run two of the most important plays of the game with their center not totally right. That's that's what the eye test would tell you there. And um, and so he did not play in the second half. So we are taping this on a Wednesday. We probably will know for sure when Marcus Freeman meets with us via Zoom on Thursday afternoon at noon whether or not Zeke Corral is going to play on Saturday. <laughs> we do know that Rocco Spindler is out because the same game that, that Zeke Corral got hurt, Rocco Sp- Spindler blew out his knee. He's done for the season. Thus, Billy Shrouth steps in at the guard position. Everybody thought Billy Shrouth was going to win that job in preseason. He did not. He has played really 
really only one game that that Louisville game where they kind of juggled the offensive line for a couple of series. So he is now stepping in for Rocco Spindler at the guard spot. We don't know what's go- behind Billy Sharp. We don't know what's going on with Andrew Kristoffic because I was headed over to basketball on Tuesday. I forget what the- on Tuesday. And I swear I saw Andrew Kristoffic is in one of those motorized scooters. High ankle sprain. With a high ankle sprain. High ankle sprain. So, you know, Marcus Freeman said on Monday, at that point, if they had to go and play right then, go right, wouldn't that be something? Go right from the press conference, go play the ball game. Um, be fine by me. Kristoffic <laughs> uh, uh, would, would, would not have been available on Monday, and um, Craig would have started at center. Ashton Craig, by the way, is one of the things I asked – both Hartman and uh, Freeman about after the game and that very uh, distracting, noisy post-game uh, atrium they set up. I have it, no idea what you're talking it about. Was, I wasn't at there. Clemson, it was goofy. <laughs> Trust me on that. And uh, almost he kept waiting for, like, I mean, you could hear the crowd. They were just, there was no barrier. There was no door to close. You're just kind of in a in a little corner of uh, of Memorial Stadium there, and, and you kept waiting for Clemson fans to come over there and you know start doing the tiger rag right you're, over your you're, shoulder. You're waiting for Tyler for st- from Spartanburg just to That's stop right. in and say, "What's up, guys? Hey, hey, thanks for all the publicity." Hey, can but, I uh, can I talk to Marcus Freeman real quick? Come come see us. But uh, it was. Uh, yeah, so uh, Ashton Craig uh, did well, and and you know that's a that's a redshirt freshman too with very little uh, expectation or pedigree. Shrouth has had to deal with a lot of hype, and of course a lot of it coming from his teammates. There's a TTP up now, I believe, on on your South Bend Tribune um, Andy and the Insider. And, and, yeah, as of Wednesday morning, there was uh, early morning Billy Shrouth uh, look there, and uh, I got, I hope everyone will take a look at that. He has appeared in seven different games mm-hmm. this year. Uh, you know, several of those early season blowouts. You're right about the 25 snaps in the in the Louisville uh, revolving door. Yeah. The uh, uh, the open audition America's Got Talent night there, and not enough. But um, he's he's not done well in pass protection, mm. not at all. He can he can road grade, but um, you know this is a guy who's Already a big body guy, not necessarily known for being agile, and um, and they've gotten past him. His 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 Louisville game was a problem. Gave up a sack, and then uh, five pressures on the year allowed in just seventy six snaps. And not all those obviously are pass protection. So it's it's going to be something to watch. The good news is I don't think Wake Forest has a pit style pass rush to to get after you or a Louisville style pass rush. I don't. It's a good spot for him maybe to um, to to get that first start under his belt. Wake Forest, I believe, 63rd in total defense, 62nd in rush defense, and 73rd in pass efficiency defense. So not the type of defense that you're going against, if it, whether it, like it's Duke or even the way Clemson played. We thought Clemson's defense was kind of suspect, and then they played like they were a top-five defense in the country against I, that I, offense. I didn't. I didn't, I, think did. they, I didn't think they were suspect. I told you they were sneaky, And they had all those starters. They had all the starters missing. Well, that, that we didn't know that till we got there. but um, And they actually announced it for the game, whereas – some other uh, programs, you know, there's a all student athletes are available. Everybody on the two deep will be available. It's happened a couple times now, and Jaden Thomas never saw the field nope. at Clemson. Now, if you're going to make an announcement, if you just say it's our policy not to give any pregame injury information, okay, that's not cool. But go, that's better than saying an hour before the game, especially in the era of immediate write-ups, mm-hmm. um, whether they're healthy or not. TTP land. Uh, which I did not write up that I just tweeted that that all you know according to Notre Dame all student athletes on the on the two deep will be available and Jaden Thomas never played and I think I believe on the first drive when I was sitting at home watching the TV version on the first drive you can see Jaden Thomas standing on the sideline with no helmet and when he's standing on the sideline with no helmet that means he's yeah. not playing yeah there was it was a wild day I mean from Clemson all those injuries that they did uh, own up to almost mm-hmm. like they were uh, stacking bricks of impossibility in a motivational way and uh, like people were like oh no no will shipley oh no that three of the key defensive backs and turned out nobody could get separation for notre dame when they needed it then and, and sam hartman uh, fell on his sword afterwards um and he, yes rightfully he was ina- so in, uh, rightfully so he was inaccurate but it's not like he was missing a series of wide open people um it, it was just a, a disastrous uh you, uh you know it's two weeks ago it's i'll, I'll say this I, I've been on to Wake Forest mentally uh, for you know since the bi- middle of the bye week. It's interesting how no one's playing that card. It's almost I've been surprised that Marcus Freeman was so willing to 
to delve back into the, the get granular on the Clemson loss. Jared Parker continues to had, had to be granular on it. Um, Al Golden, he had the Broyles Award nomination to talk about. He had the, the, the helmet headset question that I threw <laughs> at him to talk about. He gave us three good minutes on that. And um, so he didn't have to look back because Clemson was a was early some early uh, failures on defense, but uh, when they needed stops, they got them over and over. Jared Parker, we'll roll back here to the offense right. real quick. Jared Parker is the offensive coordinator, so he's going to take shoulder much of the responsibility and say it's my fault. We're not doing this. We're not doing that, and he's going to take much of the blame. But should he? Is uh, like this the. This offense is not getting good quarterback play. It's not gotten good offensive line play. And the wide receivers have basically disappeared since, what, the Central Michigan game? I know Jared Parker's the offensive coordinator, and the, the it stops, it starts and stops with him. But, man, you've got to get yourself some playmakers on offense if you're going to produce. Whether it's play action, whether it's tempo, whether it's anything, you're, you're looking at this offense and saying, other than handing the ball to Audric Estime, what can this team do to move the chains? Uh, Estime, who had three carries in the second half, who didn't Clemson. who didn't play that much after he yeah. had what eighty two yards in the first quarter or something. The, the very first drive, he's he's doing the Hertz commercial, uh, a la early OJ, uh, and two an OJ two, two hurdles, two hurdles on that one play, twenty five yard runs. But um, if Jared Parker, yeah, you're right. There are there are things to point to, such as uh, you know, the Jaden Thomas lingering hamstring, such as Mitchell Evans, the most productive, important weapon, mm-hmm. as it turned out for Sam Hartman being out for the year recently. Um, and, of course, uh, uh, the, the guards have not been steady. There's been – and Carell's been had – had a less than exemplary year for himself. Uh, and so pressure up the middle has been a problem all year. Um, and then, you know, it's – it's yeah, play call, people will go to play calling at that point. There are excuses – but you can't, and he's he did you know talk about them last night. Parker did, but you can't appease. Here's a, the fan base is one thing, but you can't. Um, this isn't going to fly because there's no uh, track record of successful play calling for Jared Parker mm-hmm. going back before because the West Virginia time was kind of murky and not that successful. He's been around successful offenses, but this was uh, here's Sam Hartman on a platter. And that's all people want to know is what'd you do with Sam Hartman? Did you waste him or not? And and it, you know it's 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 not fair to p- portray it that way, but it's going to be hard in the transfer portal when you're like, hey, quarterback uh, X who might be interested in Notre Dame. Here's our offensive coordinator, Jared Parker. How's that? You know, wh- how are you going to use me? You know, how's that going to go? And then the same thing with with the guys that they have to to keep in house in the uh, in the pipeline, the CJ cars and the. And the uh, Deuce Knights, of course, and and um, in the short term, Minchie and Angeli. It's um it's a really tough spot for Jared Parker. He may be able to, um, with his longstanding relationship with Marcus Freeman and the and the lack of ego that he has, not just uh, survive this and stay on the staff, even if they shuffle and put Gino in there as the OC. You also have Joe Rudolph, who's been an OC. How about co-offensive coordinators? I don't I don't know about yeah. No. I don't know. Clemson's gotten away with that through mm-hmm. the years. I don't. Really, I mean, essentially, there's a an element of that, but it is because you hear collaboration when things, uh, you know, generally collaboration's something we've heard a lot, and throughout even on defense, everybody has kind of a voice. You have you have defensive run game coordinator Al Gold or Al Washington. You have a defensive pass game coordinator Mike Mickens, Gino Gadula, even Dylan McCullough and Chancey Stuckey feed into the game plan during the week. But when it comes time to make a play call. On third and seven, who's making it? It's Jared Parker because we know we have the we have the hype video from Duke, right? That's the whole thing. If you're going to put that out there, all calm and you know, hey, who's our best zone beater? Okay, we're going to Rico. We're, we're taking we're taking credit for that hype video, aren't freaking we? Rico Flores. We're going to take credit for that hype video because we, we did our little our, our little segment of what the coach with the would look like on the coaching headset. The week before against Ohio State, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, here comes the video with the with the assistants on the on the headset. Well, no, I can't say that because they did have we the can same. Say that. They had the same stuff. They had the idea. I was told that they they had, and we know it because they put out a little snippet of it from Central Michigan. That's where you had uh, the greatest uh, one of the greatest uh, subtitles. Um, Stucky laughing is what it said <laughs> after right. uh, Tobias Merriweather's last productive moment of this season. Was, uh, that that long touchdown. Stucky laughing. 
you know, kind of devilishly, like, here, here we go. And uh, no, but uh, not yet. So, yeah, we can't take credit, but um, we certainly can, we sure can bring it up whenever we like to serve our purposes. And they serve, you know, as calm as it was there and as productive as it was when they had to be on that winning drive, it's just been elusive and erratic. And, um, uh, the, you know, you can't get scores out of your defense and your special teams every week. <laughs> they did two straight weeks of that. Almost got it last week. Almost. Against I mean, essentially did, right? right? Um, so that, that's, uh, certainly that doesn't get lost in the in-house, uh, self-scouting and it's a really tough spot for, uh, the, uh, Jared Parker, no matter what, they could put up 60 points a game, these next two games when they needed it, when they needed to be a consistent, productive offense. Where was it? Where was it? Last, last part for this segment, before we take a break, bring in our guest, Marcus Freeman promised when he was asked a couple of weeks prior about what they're going to do with the quarterback situation said he would look at it, they would look at it more during the bye week. They have looked at it more and has decided they want to bring in a fourth quarterback. Now, I was on the Sam Hartman train, bring in the graduate transfer, do the whole Sam Hartman thing all over again after they got Sam Hartman. Now, after what I've seen from Sam Hartman, and again, not all of it's his fault, but if you're going to be the quarterback at the University of Notre Dame, this is what you sign up for and you better deliver. He hasn't delivered. I was on the I was with the feeling of go get yourself another Sam Hartman. Now I'm like, you got yourself a Sam Hartman, and your best you're gonna do is finish nine and three. Why not just ride it out with Steve Angeli? Why or Steve Angeli and CJ Carr and Kenny Minchie and the quarterbacks that you have for 2024? You went and you got a Sam Hartman, and you're not gonna really do anything. Better than nine and three. Stay with Steve Angeli. You can make that point, and and uh, certainly I just did. Know, well, yeah, and and I'm not a, I'm not averse to it because it all it's it's a, it's all dependent on who's out there. Um, you know, if we've it right now, it's it's so much as the coaching carousel that you teased earlier as which coaches of these guys who you know the, does does Willie Fritz leave Tulane? Does does Michael Pratt look around? Does uh, Mike Elko leave Duke? Seems very likely. Does he bring Riley Leonard with him? Does Riley Leonard go to the NFL? Is Riley Leonard healthy enough? All these things. Uh, you got you got Cam Rising's name floating around. Does Andy Ludwig go with him? No, I don't. I don't think so. But um, you <laughs> Is got there another Dante. Game How about this? How about? Uh, I mean, I don't see this. But if Chip Kelly's getting fired, Dante Moore, our man Julio Rodriguez, the team <laughs> barber right. last night, late last night, Dante Moore to ND, no question mark. Just I don't know if that are we are, and so that was a that was a fun one. I used your eyes that you like to do uh, the yeah. eyes. Is that a good term for the the eyes emoji? Sure. And then I did the some other emoji. It's just it's just kind of like it looks like this, you know. And I don't know. Can what I see that, that again? Uh, <laughs> that was my emoji, and then there's a barber pole emoji. I really had to. I didn't even. I was so pleased that there was one. I'd never used it, so I used those three. And something tells me, as we enter the transfer portal, and 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 Julio's star continues to rise. We've written about him before at South Bend Tribute and Indy Insider. He's great. Uh, maybe he'll be the one to break some of these off-season moves because if they're because that's like the second guy you put up. You put the potential transfer on the phone. He stayed in touch, by the way, with Dante Moore. He told me that last spring even after Dante went on to initially commit to Oregon and then ends up at UCLA, you know, he's, he's traveling the world. Um, guy from Detroit right up the road. Notre Dame wanted him badly. Uh, he got to know Julio during the recruiting process. He's, 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 he's got, him, got him right a couple of times, as they say, and uh, they stay in touch. But that, I'm, not, I'm not saying that there's anything reporting to that because uh, – but, but, who, but who really knows? It's 2023. It is. And we will talk some Wake Forest football with our guest Dave Gordon when we return here on the Pot of Gold after these messages. Back on this edition of Pot of Gold from the WNDU Studios, your home for Countdown to Kickoff. He is Mike Berardino. I'm Tom Noy, and we're pleased to be joined by our special guest, Dave Gorin, who is the executive director of the National Sports Media Association since 2009. He spent 24 years in local television, 20 years in Winston-Salem, He's a sideline reporter for Wake Forest football, and he teaches a sports broadcasting class at Wake Forest where one year his student was one Sam Hartman. Dave, what was, let's start there. What was that like when you walk in the first day of class and you see the starting quarterback of Wake Forest University 
sitting there in the probably what in the front row? Absolutely, he was in the front <laughs> row. Um, I typically, because I teach Monday nights from six thirty to nine o'clock. Um, I typically have a lot of athletes. In fact, this year, I think 20 of my 25 are athletes because it's at a time when they can take class because during the day they're doing lots of you know, lifting and practice and film work. So I get lots of tired athletes on Monday nights. And uh, you know, Sam was as good as anyone I've had in my class for the seven years I have, I have taught a class at Wake. So uh, as you guys know, when you're in this business and I tell the athletes on the first night, it's just like being an athlete. It's all about performing mm -hmm. and you have to buy in and you can't be too cool for school. Uh, and, and Sam bought in. What made him good? Like what, what, what were some of the aspects of your class that said he had the traits that, that stood out from maybe other students? Um, you have to show your personality and, and Sam has one when he wants to show it. <laughs> he uh, doesn't always want to show it around us. And, and that's true. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we're all, we're all different. I, I certainly get that. And he had his moments here um, with the media. And, and part of it, I think, is Sam doesn't like all the attention on him. Of course, when you're the quarterback, that just comes with uh, the territory. But, uh, you know, smart, really smart young man, uh, showed his personality, willing to do, you know, our projects are, you know, read from a teleprompter, do a minute and a half or two minute sportscast, do a minute and a half or two minutes of play by play, uh, a minute and a half to two minute feature sports story with video. And then our, our final, and you guys would love this, is an in-class sports talk show. Nice. And, and I use that. I, I just, I came up with that idea. I don't know. I don't remember how. I might have stolen it. Um, but it's a way most of the people in my class are not going to become sportscasters. So I use the class as a fun way to teach them how to be confident, effective communicators. And that teaches, as you guys know, that teaches ad lib skills, right? Think on your feet. Think on the fly. Good skills for a quarterback to have. <laughs> Interesting, Dave. Uh, you, you talk about how Sam can kind of turn it on, uh, the personality and the charm, or 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 subdue it. I guess uh, if he were asked to. Uh, in, you know, whenever his NFL uh, run ends, however that goes for him, um, uh, we're seeing more and more people just go straight from the the uh, you know holding the clipboard to being the guy who's going to analyze the game. Uh, how do you think he would do? You know, if say in his twenties, mid twenties, late twenties, he shows up there. Um, uh, have you prepared him for that to be the next uh, Dan Orlovsky or or Robert Griffin the third? It seems like he could do that. Well, I would. I would hope I, I had a little bit to do with it. He did. He's expressed interest. He was on, uh, I think it was last year, one of the post-game shows on ACC Network, and he was on the set with with the gang, the studio gang, and they asked him about it. And he said, oh, yeah, I would, I would love to do this. And if he wants to do it, he could do it. There's probably not a whole lot that Sam couldn't do. Um, so, yeah, I would, I would feel confident he could do it with, without my help, certainly. And then, um, you know, one of the things that uh, he's used a couple of times, one of, uh, perhaps the line of the, of the year that he's gone back to was, uh, uh, after good moments, I wish I could buy Coach Golden a Ferrari. <laughs> he, he does not uh, seem to have a Ferrari or even an NIL deal with Ferrari, but maybe he's trying to speak it into existence. I wonder, did Sam Hartman ever offer to buy you a Ferrari or Coach Clausen a Ferrari or, or any of the folks down there, uh, Warren? Well, not, not to me and not to my knowledge for, for the coaches here, but uh, <laughs> you know, who knows one day. It's a pretty nice offer. I, I, don't know if I, could, I don't know if I could drive a Ferrari. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm at the age now where I just want to get from point A to point B. In fact, yesterday I was telling you guys before we came on, I drove to Knoxville, Tennessee, and I asked my wife if I could borrow her Honda CRV because I'm driving a 12-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-old Toyota Camry. So I felt better with her car on the road. When when Sam Hartman decided to not only play a six year of college football but to play it up here at Notre Dame, what was the reaction down there at Wake Forest after he had spent so much time there and, and done so many things for that program? I think most people were good with it. You know, it always hurts when you're a fan, right? Because mm -hmm. you're our guy, and so there's there's a certain amount of that. But I think most people realize that he didn't owe us anything. And if you think about it. Players don't owe the fans anything. They are in it to get better, to get an education, to graduate, which he did. Um, 
but it's 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 each individual athlete's life we're talking it's not our we kind of try to live vicariously through them but it's their lives so um i I don't think most people held it against sam having said that this saturday is going to be really weird yeah that was uh dave clausen's uh comment uh, looking back through his his um his press conference yesterday uh tuesday uh, he used the yeah the term weird. He said it'd be awkward, uh, but said no. He still thinks the world of Sam. Um, but quite honestly, it's hard for me to watch Notre Dame football as your head coach Dave Clawson saying that. And I'm sure for the fan base and for a lot of his old teammates, although a lot of the guys have churned out through the years. But um, yeah, that's going to be uh, uh, an, an odd experience. I'm sure Sam Hartman knew that all along when he decided to come up to Notre Dame. But this certainly. But it's not like. Uh, do you think there'll be any element? Uh, of grudge match for anybody, uh, you know, even a guy that he just, you know, didn't throw to enough over the years. <laughs> Is there, you know, it, it's just, um, it can't just be a pure love fest. There's got to, there's got to be a sub, sub, you know, if, if Wake Forest comes out and puts its best game of the year on the table, what, you know, how much was that? Uh, well, we'll show you. Well, I think you know, part of it is even if even when you're friends and friends play against each other in college football, and there got guys who went to that same high school end up on opposite teams in college, and, and they want to, you know, kind of have bragging rights, if nothing else. And it doesn't mean they don't like the person, although I, I guess in some cases they probably don't. But I think most of the Wake team loves Sam Hartman, uh, but they want to show him that they're better on this day. So, you know, there, there may be there may be a little informal pool about who gets to Sam first, or, or I actually asked in my class, okay, what happens first? Does Sam get sacked or does Sam get picked? <laughs> in, in jest. And, and we had, I, had, I think I have, I think I have nine guys on the football team in my class. There was kind of a split, split decision. One more, what was Sam Hartman question before we talk big picture Wake Forest football? When you watch Sam Hartman as a sideline reporter, what, what was maybe the one play or the one moment where you said, Man, that kid's special. I think his guts, um, you know, that offense, the the slow mesh offense, the RPO that Wake runs, not all the time, as most people on the outside think, but they run a good deal of it. I mean, you have to stand not just in the pocket, but almost at the line of scrimmage, right? Because you're you have that ball right in the in the running back's gut until, and and he has to make that split second decision on on what to do with it. And sometimes it's the wrong decision, and there are guys all over you. And uh, you know, it doesn't really matter what offense you play as a quarterback. That's part of the part of the game as well. But um, Sam showed a lot of guts at quarterback, and uh, you know, even when things weren't going well his first couple years, he still stood in there. And, and I think the fruits of his labors, or his labor, bore fruit. You know, his last couple of years, especially. So. Um, I, I'm a big fan, if you couldn't tell. Wake so I'm looking for, to seeing him on Saturday. Wake Forest beats Pittsburgh on uh, October 21st, 21-17. They've lost three in a row. What hasn't happened for the Demon Deacons since that game against the Panthers? Well, I think it. You know, if you look at the three wins to start the season, they were against an FCS team, uh, bottom of the SEC, and a group of five team who almost beat them, I might add. And, and so – I think coming in, most people knew this was going to be a rebuilding year. I think there are only four senior starters. Um, and it's funny, I, I, I predicted, and I'm not a good predictor, beginning of the year I said five and seven. I kind of bought into the fool's gold after they won the first three, right? And then the pit game, they were lucky to win. They mm-hmm. should have lost that game. You have a third-string quarterback come in and bail them out with a with a just a P on the, the – the touchdown pass to the tight end Cam Height, and you know that, that wouldn't have happened if if Pitt's quarterback hadn't started to his slide before the first down marker because we all thought it was a first down, but because of the the Kenny Pickett rule, which ironically happened because of his touchdown run against Wake in the ACC championship game a couple of years ago, uh, Pitt turned it over and and Wake pulled pulled a miracle off. So. You know, it's offensive line play. It's uh, inexperienced quarterback play. Receivers haven't really gotten a lot of separation. They're missing their number one receiver and have all year. Uh, guys banged up on the offensive line, which hasn't played together a lot. But the defense, surprisingly, has been kind of a strong point of the team. It doesn't always show 
you know, Old Dominion scored 21, 24 points, mm-hmm. but they had a scoop and score and a pick six. So that wasn't against the defense. And defense has played pretty well. But uh, offensively, they're, it, it's just been really inconsistent and, and really haphazard. Uh, Dave Gordon, you, you um, being around Dave Clausen now for a number of years, I wonder if you can put in perspective for people just how straight a shooter he seems to be. I mean, it seems like um, perhaps almost to his detriment at times, but in the media we really we would prefer somebody who takes a straight question and gives a direct answer. Uh, his answers um, just yesterday were fascinating, and I don't think it's the first time he's lamented the modern uh, system of the uh, transfer portal and using terms like, you know, you basically have to buy a player often in the portal. He's saying openly that uh, this year already, uh, already the portal not open, that um, six-figure offers are floating around for his players. Um, and uh, that would surprise people off a four and six team at this point. Um, do you ever talk with with uh, Dave Clausen about uh, why he prefers to do it that way? And, and uh, has he ever asked you if that's always... You know, should he tweak his approach, or he's just a finished product, it seems like, and, and people value that? You know, one, one thing he doesn't ask me for is advice. <laughs> um, you know, the, the day he was hired, you know, he went to Williams College, which is a very high academic school, and when I introduced, when we were introduced, I said, you went to Williams, you're way too smart to be a football coach. <laughs> uh, but that, that's the main thing. He's a smart guy, and he gets it. And, and to his credit, you know, we had the, the Wakey Lakes thing that went on yeah. with our, mm-hmm. our radio color commentator back in 2017. He could have cut off all access, right? And, and I don't think we would have held that against him. Um, and it's kind of been the opposite. He, he was a little closer to the vest his first couple of years. I found it a little bit difficult sometimes as a sideline reporter when he would come off the field at halftime or after the game if I would kind of go a little positive lean, like it looked like the team really, you know, the effort was there. He said, yeah, but, you know, we've made too many mistakes. And if I went the other way, he would go the other way. So I now usually start my, my halftime interview with thoughts on the first half. Now, don't even ask a question, really, and, and then follow up. And, you know, that's his chance. If you look at that, it's the coach's chance to get his feelings out there to his fans. And, and so I let him go on that. And then if I have a question that I know he will answer because he won't answer. You know, he's not going to say, well, what are you going to do? What plays are you going to run in the second half? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so I, I try to ask bigger picture questions. You know, what are you going to tell the team at halftime? What's what's your message to them? That kind of thing. Um, but but we certainly appreciate his, his candor. You know, Wake Forest is so small. The media contingent is so small. He does his, his Tuesday formal press conference, and, and he's wide open there. And then there are maybe six or eight of us who cover the team regularly, including student reporters. We'll go down, have a little meal, and and he'll go off the record. And and it's been fascinating. I, I've I've learned so much, and I've been around. You know, I'm 63 years old. I've been covering sports since I was a 15 year old junior in high school, writing for my local newspaper. Um, I've learned so much, and and I'm truly grateful to him for his willing to share. Uh, what he shares, but he has—he obviously has to trust us, uh, and it's not just the radio crew; it's you know, the the beat writers for the websites, the newspaper, and the student reporters. And it's 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 really fascinating. And you know, I told you guys I was away yesterday; I missed it yesterday, so I, I will be at the coaches' show tonight. In this NIL transfer portal world, for a school like Wake Forest, like you said, it's a small school, academically minded. How difficult is it for them to compete in major college football in 2023? Well, it, it's funny because they've just had a couple hundred million dollars investment in facilities, yeah. and their facilities are now as good as anybody in the top 25 in the country that I've seen. And, you know, I've seen Clemson, um, North Carolina, I've seen Notre Dame, and, and it compares with anybody. Well, now that doesn't matter. Right. Mm-hmm. It's how much money do you have to, you know, how many, how much can you funnel through your collective to either keep players in your program or find players in other programs and wakes at a disadvantage there. They have a handful of big donors that have really foot the bill for those facilities and, and are the big donors otherwise in the athletic department. 
but in sheer numbers, Wake can't compete. So, you know, where are you going to spend your money now? Maybe it's good that the facilities are there and maybe that money can then go to NIL. I had a local business person the other day who is very much involved on the, in the athletic side, uh, civically and, and with several schools said, you know, donors are not going to do this NIL business like every year because they can't afford to. And, It'll be interesting as, as this plays out in the next couple of years to see exactly where we're going with this, whether we get governance on it, whether there is revenue sharing. Coach Clawson is a big fan of that, just to even the playing, you know, the playing field has never been level and it never will be just by, you know, the sheer volume of the number of teams who, who play the sport and, and differing um, support. Uh, but NIL and the transfer portal is a, I don't think it's a winnable game for Wake Forest because they can't get a lot of those players into school and they don't have the depth of resources to be able to, you know, afford today's NIL play for pay. Actually reading through uh, the, yeah, the, the um, it's a great point. The, um, the process uh, that Dave Clawson laid out on Tuesday in terms of their sweet spot, he called it. It's obviously grad grad transfers. Everybody can pretty much go for that because you don't. Really, you can be uh, even Sam Hartman here, just auditing a few classes. Basically, uh, he learned everything he needed to know already from you. But um, that uh, that then at Wake because the transfer uh, because the credits don't transfer as easily. Um, Unless it's a you know similar academic school, they don't even mess with people unless they're trying to transfer off of their freshman year. Once you get, uh, I believe Coach Klassen said, you know, thirty credits or so, it's just uh, there's no way uh, because Wake also has a, a rule. Correct me if I'm wrong. That you at least at least half of your credit hours have to be earned at Wake Forest to earn a Wake Forest degree. And Notre Dame, I don't even believe, with all the restrictions here, they, they were able to go out and get Brandon Joseph from Northwestern had all kinds of trouble getting the credits to transfer. He ends up uh, going to the NFL, um, going undrafted, and didn't get his degree yet, hopes to come back and get it eventually. But they were able to play at that table. Sounds like that's even a kind of player, uh, a, a, you know, a resume that Wake Forest couldn't go after. So it's, uh, Tom's point, really restrictive. Is all that checked out? Yeah, I, I would think Northwestern would be a, a high enough academic program where transfers uh, were – Credits sure. may transfer in, but if if you look at Wake in the last couple of years since the portal's been open, it's been you know guys from Villanova, Richmond, smaller high academic uh, schools, East Coast for the most part, um, or a couple others I can't can't think of, but you know the the Villanova Richmond uh, model is mm-hmm. where they're, they're going to uh, Harvard. They've gotten a couple yep. kids from Harvard. Same um, here. Just trying to think off the top of my head, but that's you know that's kind of the the pool in which they swim. What do you think of the um, the Cal? Speaking of, uh, you mentioned East Coast. The ACC is now coast to coast with Cal and and uh, Stanford, and then uh, of course SMU in the middle of the country coming in. Um, uh, what what will that be like for academically uh, for your for your uh, students on a Monday night? Um, you know they'll still be. Uh, Perhaps uh, really playing catch up uh, when they come back, right? I mean, you're going to have to have to give them a little oh, extra time. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you know, selfishly, I look forward to going to these places. Uh, we did, Wake Forest did play at Stanford. They did a home and home with Stanford 09 and 10. Wake beat them here in a noon game, which means it's 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. on the Pacific body clock, right? And Jim Harbaugh was the head coach then, and he was not all that pleased. Wake beat him, <laughs> and he was still mad. I, uh, we're the uh, my organization is the voting body for the Bear Bryant College Football Coach of the Year, which is given out in Houston in January. And he was a finalist that year. And I, and I happened to go and introduce myself afterwards and say I was at one of your losses. And he went, "Oh yeah, which one?" And when I said Wake Forest, he he still was replaying all the calls that he didn't like. So the next year. It was an 11, a, 11 p.m. Eastern kickoff. And this is now – Andrew Luck is now a sophomore, I believe. I believe the final in the game was 68-24, and he did not let off the gas pedal. So Notre Dame, Michigan State were on ESPN2 before our game that night, and they went double overtime, I think. 
So it slid the kickoff to 11.30 Eastern time. So way past my bedtime. <laughs> you know, kids are okay. Um, you know, we didn't land the next morning till 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock Sunday morning in Greensboro. And then we had a bus, bus. back to campus. So, you know, unless you're sleeping on the plane, I'm not very good at that. I think the kids are. Um, but, yeah, how that's good for student-athletes, other than to – to save the conference. Dave, as the sideline reporter, when you come up here this weekend, what's part of your routine when you go to an away stadium? Like, I have to do this in the hour or so before kickoff. Um, I'm on the field usually an hour or so before. Uh, depending on where we stay, we can either take, you know, if it's a drivable place where we have a car, we can drive in early at our leisure. Um or, you know, we typically stay in Michigan City mm. when we come out there. And so we'll likely get on the early bus, which I think I saw leaves. Now, the funny part there, of course, is staying in Central Time and playing in Eastern Time. Yep. Uh, so you, what do we do? We lose an hour, right? <laughs> yeah. We're always you have to do all this math. Don't be late now. <laughs> why, yeah, why do we get in this business? Because we don't like men. Right. <laughs> uh, but anyway, we'll get there. At le- I'm typically at a game at least three hours before kickoff. We're on the air an hour before. Uh, you know, you try to eat before so you have energy. And then I'm down on the field, usually 90 minutes to uh, uh, two hours before game time. Just I get my steps in. I, I usually walk around the field. I'll stop. And, you know, I've had so many football players in my class. I'll stop and talk to all of them, talk to coaches. Uh, I have to do a live interview in the middle of the pregame show, so I look for someone to that I haven't interviewed yet uh, to interview, and um, that's kind of my my pregame. I schmooze in the press box because you know you can never have enough uh, recruiting members for the National Sports Media Association. Hint, hint. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I, you know, I, in this position, I've been in this position now 14 years after my TV sports career, where I thought I knew a lot of media, sports media people, and now my Rolodex, if anyone knows what that is, still just has just exploded. And it's cool for me because what we, in addition to honoring sports media for excellence, we try to help young people, students, and young professionals navigate their path. And I'm able to use veteran sports media to to be able to hook them up, and that's. To me, the most gratifying part of this job. Well, Saturday is senior day for Notre Dame and last senior day in 2022 against Boston College. It was an absolute whiteout blizzard conditions for that game. You come up here on Saturday, we're dialing up 50 degrees and pure (laughs) sunshine for you on Saturday for that game. I tell you what, the last three weeks we've gone Florida State game here, 84 degrees. At Duke Thursday night, 36 degrees. <laughs> this past Saturday was beautiful. It was right around 60. So I think last time we were in Notre Dame, it was in the low 40s and drizzly the whole game. Yep. So you know, whatever you can do for sunshine, I'm good with. Although we're on the sun, sun side of the field. True. So remember, are we. I have to remember visor and shades for an hour and a half. Yep. It gets dark. Press box is on the east side as well. So we're looking into the sun for four hours. Yeah, that's that wasn't a good idea, but. You guys know that. Yes. Dave, appreciate your time. Love talking to you. Swing by the press box on Saturday. Say say hello. All the hot dogs you want to eat on Mike Berardino. There you go. Condiments as well. Have at it. Talking to you. We'll see you in three days. You got it. Safe travels, my man. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. That's that's Dave Gorin, sideline reporter for Wake Forest Football. And like he said, National Sports Media Association Executive Director. We'll come back, wrap up this edition of Pot of Gold after this. Final moments of this edition of Pot of Gold here at the WNDU Studios. Your home for countdown to kickoff. They will be counting down. Notre Dame, Wake Forest, 3.30, NBC, and Peacock. We won't talk about the television arrangements for next week. We'll talk Why about, not? We'll talk about that next week. We can do a whole segment on that. <laughs> We're doing a whole segment. Your job next week is to get the communications director for the Pac-12 network on wow. our pod. George or George Klyakov or Je- George Klyakov. Yeah, yeah, what's he doing? He'll he'll be able to come on and do the pod. <laughs> Pac-12 Network. Nobody in South Bend, Indiana, gets the Pac-12 Network. You will be in Palo Alto for the game. I will not. I've got to find a way to finagle a channel somewhere somehow to watch Notre Dame and Stanford. Seven o'clock Eastern tip off. The last 
game ever on the Pac-12 network is Notre Dame-Stanford. Go figure. That's that's for sure? I think so. Even with two teams, you can't just have their games on? Uh, Who knows? It's, it that, sounds that, good. That's, what, that's why the conference is going away, because sounds they're dopey good. like that. So. Conference of champions. Yeah. Okay, Bill Walton. So Notre Dame-Wake Forest 3.30 from the stadium, last game of the year at home for Notre Dame. They're 7-3. and three. Trying to bounce back from that Clemson loss, get to eight and three, maybe nine and three for Stanford. Senior day, like we said, we didn't even talk about all the seniors that may or may not come back. Maybe we'll do that with countdown, countdown to kick off with Chuck Freebie after we're done here. So that might be on the list. Yeah, that might be. You think the one? Okay, the one senior off the top of your head that people don't think is going to come back that may come back is who? See, it's not off the top of your head if you got to look at your notebook. It's got to be a senior. Uh, my uh, um, Riley Mills, I don't know if people expect Riley Mills to come back. There I think go. he could build value next year, uh, be a monster up the middle. But I think there might be a couple like that. Uh, you know, nobody thought DJ Brown was coming back. Right. right. He have to, to, you know, how much could he improve? I don't know if he did improve his draft stock, but he, he certainly, uh, or if there is draft stock, but he, he came back, he had the experience of a sixth year. And, can I asked that question to Cam Hart. You know, if Cam Hart doesn't like his draft grade, he didn't tip his hand at all uh, last night when I talked. But um, that's a guy who before the year said, the, the league's sleeping on me. I think I'm a first-round <laughs> quality guy. I don't get that feel. Although he's had a heck of a year. He's really had his best year, and he's he largely largely stayed healthy. Um, which, was, which there you go when you mention the word healthy. I yeah. think he, he, has, he has you have to go if you're Cam Hart when you've had the shoulder issues and the surgery issues that he's yes. had, you just can't afford to. It, it, your your clock and your window in the NFL is so small. The window is only open for only a couple of years. Man, if you have a chance to go play pro ball for a couple of years, you've got to go. Cam Hart's got to go. J.D. Bertrand's got to go. Maybe even Maris Leofau's got to go. He's got two years. He left. does two years. I'm not, and you know, and a girlfriend on the basketball team. Yes. So he, you know, he's he's got. She would probably like to see him stay. <laughs> Maybe there's a guy who stays. Yeah. I mean, I do think uh, uh, Bertrand and Kaiser, because uh, I asked Kaiser that question back in the summer, and it mm-hmm. sounded like, you know, he said, well, it's pretty much up to, you know, it's up to them too here at Notre Dame. I think he they have to make room for the Drake Bowens and the. You know, the Nolan Zigglers, the Jaden Osberries, uh, the next wave, Jay, Jalen Sneed. Um, yeah, that's a delicate dance. Um, you know, uh, sometimes when people come back who you, uh, you're you not so well, – it sounds like Jordan Botello uh, might come back. I mean, there's a potential that he comes back too. He's got a decision. Uh, it's a fascinating list, and, and we did uh, get all those names, I believe, on there, all the correct ones um, uh, this week in, in South Bend Tribune. Uh you know, nobody's going to just come out before senior day and say, this is it. I don't I'm think done. people have done that. But even the guys, the, the junior eligibles, or junior eligible, you know Joe Alt's going because he's top 10 pick. But Audric Estime may not like his draft grade, and we are in the NIL era. We are in the NIL. This is a good collective here. Uh, if You know, it's almost like Estime, he has to go because he's such a physical runner and the, and the lifespan of a running back and, the, and professionally is so short. There's only they don't so pay many, the backs well, though. Only so many hits that body can take. They don't pay them well they in don't. the NFL. It's a huge it, – it's really declined. And, um, you know, if, if he's looking at a uh, third-day draft grade, I've seen PFF has – Pro Football Focus has him – down there in the in a in a fourth round possibly. I mean, just to go over what I saw the other day, I think these are the latest things. You know, he's, Hartman's maybe a round six guy. Of course, he doesn't have another year to to play. Um, you know, you got uh, Howard Cross might be a fourth rounder according to Pro Football Focus at this point. They're but you know, uh, estimate round four. Um, you know, Blake Fisher round four. I think Blake Fisher comes back. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, so really, just one guy going on 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 the first two days of this draft at this point, and that's Joe, that's Joe Alt. And that's a guaranteed top ten pick. Got to go. Seems like it. Oh yeah. Got to go. So prediction time. Let's do some predictions, shall yeah. we? Okay. What do you got? Wake Forest, Notre Dame, three <clears> thirty. <throat> well, how about the fact this is a twenty-four and a half point line? That was a that was a aggressive. Um, I know Wake Forest is is not good this year. Not the tri- traditional Wake Forest team. They're down to playing uh, what Michael Kern at quarterback. Um, and just just when I was pronouncing the guy uh, uh, Santino's name, I had that going. <laughs> you but, wanted uh, it. you just wanted uh, to say Santino. I did, and uh, this Michael Kern, but whatever. Um, uh, it feels like um, uh, 
you know, I, uh, 30 to 10 Notre Dame feels about right. Um, I think we do get a look even with the game potentially in the balance. I Uh-oh. think we do get a look at some, some Steve Angeli in the second half. Look at you dropping a little Steve Angeli. I, I think we have there. to, I think that's going to happen. I don't think they telegraph that, but I think there could be something where he's in a game that it might be in the balance. It wouldn't be the worst thing to treat this. Nope. Uh, like I know you were, you were quickly on the, on the, let's go on the market. That's it. Sam, no that's more, it. Sam Hartman has nothing else to show. Nope. And, nope. and you need to see, uh, the proper way to handle it feels like these these final two games would be Sam Hartman plays the whole first half no matter what, and then unless you're trailing, the third quarter goes to Steve Angeli and the fourth quarter to Kenny Minchie. No, almost no matter what at that point. Marcus Freeman on line one for Mike Berardino. That's a great that. plan. And again, this is nothing. This is nothing against Sam Hartman no. as a player or a person. But when you're brought here as the quarterback at the University of Notre Dame and you can't get this team to ten wins. Thanks for the job, but let's look at some other guys. That's just the way it is. As, as hard as that is on, on too much at stake in the Sam Hartman uh, impending portal nah. in a variety of ways. There's too much at stake. Uh, you have to find out some more. You've got to well, you've got to find out some more from guys like Angeli, right? Yeah, like because and Minchie. You, and Minchie. What just, if he lights it up? Yeah. What if What if Kenny Minchie's the next? He was he, he, imperson- he impersonated Caleb Williams to the point where is he coaches Caleb and Williams? teammates are saying no, but they're saying, wow, that was Caleb Williams. Like he's that mobile. He's got that kind of arm talent. We heard. I know he's you know a, a freshman. You know he's redshirting. But um, let's just see. I mean, you, you right. have to at least find out have because to. you won't know until well, January. You'll start seeing, uh, you know, CJ Carr will be here and and doing all his uh, improvements, getting ready for uh, for a spring battle. But all of this, so many unanswered questions, so many moving pieces. What's your what's your prediction uh, for Wake Forest yeah. Notre Dame? I will go Notre Dame thirty eight, Wake Forest three. Both teams have quarterback offensive issues, but I think Notre Dame's are more fixable. And if they follow script, Notre Dame plays well after a clunker of a game. They did it against Ohio, after Ohio State. They did it after Louisville. Let's see if they do it after Clemson. So Notre Dame 38, Wake Forest 3 on a sunny day at the stadium with us squinting into the sun, trying to see what's going on down there on the field. Just like that. Good squint. So for Mike Berardino, for our producer Brandon stepping in, for Jerry, who's on the DL, Mike B. still doing his sun squint over there. I am Tom Noy. This has been Pot of Gold from the WNDU Studios, your home for Countdown to Kickoff. We'll talk to you next week. This is ND Insider's Pot of Gold. Now, with all things Notre Dame football, here's Tom Noy, Mike Baradino, and Austin Huff.